Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Science in between. Yeah, I'm Ollie. That's <sighs> Scott. No, no. And well, I'm Scott. That's yeah. Ollie. And and while it's only been a week since you've maybe listened to the last episode, it's been for, a while for you. For you. People. Yeah, for all you y- y- yens out there. Oh. I just thought, thought <laughs> drop some Pittsburgh right drop there. Drop some Pittsburgh in there. Yeah. Uh, yens all, yens all yeah, out there. Uh, down there. <laughs> yeah. It has been a little uh, longer for Scott and I. We haven't seen each other for, you know, I don't know, a few weeks while we've both couple, been traveling. A couple weeks, yeah. Uh, and so this is, yeah. And and. Besides, and besides this being a joyful reunion for the two of us, it is right. also the 100th episode. 100. Is that a special number, Ollie? Um, well, it's a square. So there's that. So it's it's a perfect square. It is. It's, it's a perfect square. And a, a, a perfect square. A perfect square. Yeah, and you know, like you're one, I'm one. Oh, yeah. come on, we're, we're squares. I know. I'm saying, and then we're a perfect square. Right. Look at right? us. Mm. Come on, work with me on the metaphor. No. Yeah. You, I'm you, sorry. Okay. Yeah. You, apologize. You're just all about primes. That's just, it. Hey. It, yeah. That's where I am. My head's in the in and the you, prime space. You, you know. The prime space. <laughs> is that like a Star Trek thing? It is. It we're is. in prime space <laughs> now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So, hey, welcome back. You know? Welcome back. Welcome yeah. back to us. Welcome back to you. And this week, we have some real excitement for you. We've been saving this. <laughs> we, well, this came up. We're we're uh, planning some professional development for some folks in the fall. Um, coming up, we're doing. You know, we're part of the um, the team teams that are working to do some professional development as the new science standards are being released in the state. And, you know, one of the things we're preparing ourselves for is some of the conversations we're going to have with teachers. And one of the conversations we're expecting is, you know, kind of came up in an email exchange that we had this, you know, over the last week or so, um, which was all around direct instruction, lecturing, and mm-hmm. and where wh- what's the place for it? And is there a place for it in, in you know, a, a student-centered classroom where discourse and meaning making is at the center part of of the experience, right? And because we're expecting that, we're expecting that conversation from our, um, you know, not only from the people working with, but from the teachers they're going to be working with. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, because because this is, I mean, if for no other reason, direct instruction, and not even the version we're really going to talk about today, but you know, traditional science instruction is largely direct instruction, right? It is mostly the teacher talking to the students. Um, so, so we know that that pedagogy is the one that most science teachers are both comfortable with and are familiar with. And right. so when you start talking about these new practices, the first thing they're going to do is ask, well, what about this thing that I already do? Like, where does it fit? Um, is it just gone or, or can I continue to do some of that because I'm really good at it and I want to know how it fits into this new, new paradigm well, you're talking about? Yeah. But, so, but I think before we jump into the, you know, where does it fit or what is it good for? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like channeling, I have the Edwin star war song in my head, you know, war, what is it? Oh. Good for? Now it's like lecture. What is it good, good for? for? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. <laughs> no, again. A, no, I don't think that's what we're saying. I think no. there, but I mean, there's a lot of reasons why lecturing is one of the prevalent models of instruction. I mean, one, it's it's really efficient, right? I mean, it's an efficient way. I don't, I'm not saying effective, 
I'm just saying it's it's a if you're trying to cover a lot of content, not not effectively. I'm just gonna go through like uh, okay, but okay, okay, uh, okay. If you would uh, see Scott's face, I and you can't, but I can't. No, Uh, he is like physically ill. Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's the thing that I that bothers me about that. I'm just gonna say, here's the thing. This is the thing. Here's the thing. Um, (laughs) the thing is that. When you say, and people do often say, it's efficient, like efficiency is predicated on the notion that it is first effective, and and then it then you can you can optimize for efficiency. But optimizing for efficiency without effectiveness is is you know like um, I don't know I'll think of a good analogy, but it's but it's like you know um, it's like well it's like the often in technology we talk about this too right it's like it's like just adding adding power to something without changing its its fundamental function and 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 thinking that that's an improvement um and i think you know there there is something that you have we have to be careful about is that um efficiency well, first of all, we have to decide if efficiency is should ever be a goal in education, but independent of that efficiency is predicated on the notion that the thing that you're making efficient is good in the first place, that it is doing what you want. And then you are trying to optimize it for efficiency. Like that makes sense to me as a concept, but, but saying, you know, covering more material is more efficient in terms of learning. uh, That's a trickier ask, but carry on please, because now I'm done being a pill for the moment. for a, the the briefest of moments, the, the, just the briefest, and now well, see, it's it's already over. Well, I think that the the other part of it is that the the teacher has more control mm-hmm. over over the classroom conversation, yeah. and for like a new teacher who may you know feel a little I don't know hesitant with um you know organizing a classroom or you know navigating you know, we talked about classroom management in an episode, but na- navigating all the classroom management challenges. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a another way of maybe controlling the classroom environment a little bit more. I think the other part is that, you know, there's a consistency thing that I'm going to present the same lesson. You know, now that in itself has some some problems. And I recognize that because should we be, should consistency be a thing that we're targeting, right? right. Especially We've talked about that before, right? Cause like every classroom is, is going to be, have differences and students in those classrooms are going to have their own needs. Um, and I also think it's the, the model um, that a lot of teachers have experienced. We've mm-hmm. talked about the, the idea of this, you know, apprenticeship of observation, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Lordy stuff yeah. um, and how, you know, somebody who's a, teacher who you know is going going into teaching have been successful in that kind of model and they're seeing that as you know this is what we have to prepare our students for if they're going to be students of science they're going to have to be successful in lecture-based environments assuming Mm -hmm. that's the prevalent model in most college you know classrooms and so i think for for you know some subset of of those reasons that's what draws science teachers and uh, and and teachers in other content areas too to um to lecturing you know to direct instruction this is me going through 35 powerpoints in 45 minutes yeah i mean i do think the 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 thing that i i think is worth pulling out as a single word in that is that it really is mostly about control right absolutely yeah um and and it is in is in direct um 
it is in direct sort of contradiction to one of the things that we talk about all the time in here, which is about agency. Agency, right. Yeah. So you have like consistency is intention with responsiveness. So that was the first piece that you were talking about, like mm -hmm. this idea like, okay, every class should look the same versus every class should be responsive to the kids that are in it. And then another tension that you've just put into the mix here is, you know, control versus uh, agency. And it is it is attention right and and so i do think a lot of teachers for all the reasons that you've said like mm -hmm. to have control and and in many cases are being told that they're supposed to have control right that's part of uh, part of what their evaluation looks at their administrators look at like they come in the room and are the kids being quiet are they under control are they yeah. being managed like those words come up in that side of the house and so not and by the administrative, I don't mean the administrative side of the house. I mean, if we're talking about tensions between traditional and and uh, ambitious forms of practice like that's a, those, those tensions show up on that side. Like, absolutely. Uh, is there control? So, I mean, I think that's those are the things that we're working against. I think w understanding that these are the 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 reasoning, the rationale, the, you know, the expectations for a teacher who is teaching in that sort of environment, those are the things we have to work against. Those are the things we have to like, you know, change mindset or, you know, help to see other ways of creating classroom environments and classroom discourse. Because realistically, in those types of direct instruction, you may, you hear one voice predominantly. Mm -hmm. And if it does involve some questioning, it's usually and maybe this is painting with too broad a brush, but it's usually call and response type no, of things. I mean, I don't think it is too broad a brush. I mean, I think one of the things that we know going back to at least as far as Jay Lemke's work about talking science is that like IRE, the initiate, yeah. response, evaluate pattern of talk is is not just a science thing, obviously, but it is absolutely a science thing. And 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 a school science thing specifically, right? Teacher asks a question, student gives an answer, teacher evaluates the answer and moves on, right? So that pattern of talk goes hand in hand often with with notions of direct instruction. Right. It's like, you know, it asking a question and then not getting a response. Well, it sounds like this, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. It begins with R. Yes, it begins with an R. I'll give Anyone? you a hint. You're getting closer. Yes. It's Hon really, you almost got it. Almost got it. Anybody want to help Ali out? Anyone? Yes. In? That's great. The well, the, but the thing is, whatever you, you can walk into, not today, because it's like we're recording this in July, in August, but like no. you can walk into a science classroom or any, like a classroom in schools, and you're going to hear that happening. Oh, you're for gonna, sure. You know? 100%. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And, and I mean, this is the thing, like that's, you know, going back to apprenticeship of observation, which you mentioned, like students who are our pre-service teachers now, when they were students, they were absorbing this notion of like what it means to teach science. And so helping people, you know, we've got a whole cultural system, um, which is what schools are. These are massive cultural systems. And what they do is they build a notion of what good teaching is and that, and what good teaching is largely is, well, the best version is it's fun. The teacher's really nice and cares about me um, and like explains things really well. Yeah. Right. 
And that version of good teaching is is what's happening in most classrooms. And and it is antithetical on some for, sort of fundamental level to what we're talking about. That doesn't mean you have to throw away all your old practice, but it does mean you have to move very much from a, from a directional, one directional mode of teaching to an improvisational mode of teaching where there's a lot less, um, a lot less, you know, sort of pre-known structure to how the day is going to go. It's, it's more of a, you know, a big box that you operate inside of rather than a set of rails that you follow. So let's, let's shift to, from talking about why this happens to how it can happen or should it happen um, in a, a classroom in next generation science standards. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, drawing on, um, and we sort of talked about this in advance, so we know this, um, we, we prepared for the show as we say, I know. Yeah. So, um, the, you know, we, we talk a lot about ambitious science teaching. There is a book and I think we refer to it often enough that, well, We'll refer to it again. So um, there is a book that has that title, Ambitious Science Teaching by Mark Winshittle, Jessica Thompson, and Melissa Broughton. And smarter people it, than you and I. Let's, let's just let's call just, it out there. I mean, let's just say Mark, that. Mark Winshittle is a, definitely smarter yeah, than all, all three of them, definitely smarter than us. See, but, but, <laughs> but, we can, but they don't have this awesome podcast. No, they don't. And we can read their book, and that makes us almost as smart <laughs> as them. Yeah. I mean, I think, right? Isn't that how it works? It's yeah, like exactly. to a good lecture. It's like I, I'm almost I, as smart as a person lecturing. I'll 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 fall asleep sometimes with it against my face with the yeah. hope of it. It's just like absorbing yeah. into my brain. Yeah, I I often walk around with it duct taped to the back of my head just because I think that's where you get the best uh, movement I, of of knowledge into the brain. Is it? I read that someplace. Head? Absolutely, that's, I, that's... I read it someplace, or I fell asleep on a book that said that. I can't remember yeah. which it was. It was one of those things. Um, but you know, they had, they, uh, they directly address this in the book in, in a section where they talk about introducing new science ideas and they, and they propose this sort of interactive direct instruction as, as a way of thinking about what, what to do with direct instruction. Because I think the point that they make, uh, about this is, you know, we talk a lot about kids, you know, science is a process and what kids need to do as a practice to be, to engage in that process. But the reality is some of the concepts in science, you know, took millennia uh, to develop and kids are not going to be able to develop them on their own. So so there are times where you're going to have to give them help um, and not just help through questioning, because getting kids to reason through all the way to every big science idea is a lot to ask. So sometimes you're going to have to give them tools to help them do the reasoning work that you want them to do. But the key is to figure out how to give them enough that they still are doing the heavy lifting in terms right. of the reasoning. And that's, that's the tension. It's not to give them the whole explanation. Yeah. It's just set it up so that they can do some of the thinking on their own and some of the meaning making. And I think the other part about it is that interactive piece is still having it be student centered where the students are either talking about things like we, we, we've, we've talked about this in multiple episodes is that, you know, Learning is a social activity. It's relational work. And mm-hmm. and the teacher can be directing instruction, but fostering conversations either by think pair shares or small group discussions and then having that stuff report out. So it's still direct instruction like in that there's somebody leading a classroom conversation, 
but this still should be discourse based with small groups talking about things and then bringing those ideas to the broad the broader class yeah and there but and, and there may be instances where you really do have to introduce ideas like one of the ones they talk about in here is the buoyant force uh, and by here, I mean the ambitious science teaching book, right? That there may be there may be times when you do have to sort of introduce a concept, explain it a little bit for them, but that has to happen in, in a structured way that is built into what you just described, right? So, so we've been floating and sinking things in class, like and and doing a bunch of sort of noting of what things float and what things sink based on their their weight, their mass, right, and stuff like that. And we've got a bunch of data and we've been thinking about it and we, we're trying to figure out how to explain that. Well, what you know, there's a lot to that explanation. This goes back to other things that we talked about, about sure. what's what's in the gapless explanation. But but a key thing here is that there may be a piece of that. And they, in this case, the one that they choose is the buoyant force is to give students an explanation for what that thing is. But how does that happen? Well, it may happen in a 15, 20 minute little mini lecture, whatever you want to talk about, interactive thing. But where that information is going is not going into a set of notes um, that's somewhere else. It's going into the kid's lab notebook in in with all their other stuff. Right. So they've got this lab notebook with all their observations and all their data and all their thinking that they've been doing about buoyancy and about how things float and sink. And then you give them the buoyant force as a way to, as a tool to help them think about it. And then that's what you do. You stop there. You don't explain how the buoyant force is relevant to the context in which they're doing their reasoning. You turn them back loose to, to investigate that and think through that and reason with each other about, okay, well, now that we know that there's this force that pushes up on stuff when it's in liquid, how does that help us understand? Because it doesn't, you know, you still have to take into account gravity, which kids, you don't have to tell kids about gravity. They all know that that's a thing. And and they have to reason through this idea of unbalanced forces. So there's lots of things that the kids still have to reason through, but um, but you're giving them a little help about something that they're likely not to, not to come up with on their own very easily. But I think yeah, the, the other part about that is that getting the students to incorporate that stuff in explanations, right? Exactly. Explanations of phenomenon, yeah, and okay. and and then getting it back to that. So giving them information to kind of scaffold to the next level, but then running back to, you know, explanation driven, you know, classrooms. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, they're grounding themselves in this experience of floating and sinking stuff. And then you sort of pop up for a minute and say, Hey, there's this principle that science has worked out or this idea that science has worked out that would be useful for you. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let me explain how, how scientists thought of, about this. Now go back and see how that much might be helpful in the work that you're doing. And then you pop back down and now they're back in their own experience with this stuff. It's not up in the, oh, now let's do who has a definition of buoyancy that they can remember. Like, that's not what you're doing. You're saying, here's this idea. Now try and put it into practice. You've got, but you have stuff to reason with. You have these experiences, you have this data, you have these observations. So that's the critical difference. It's not, it's not like dumping. And one other thing I really like is they basically say, look, you should you should have one, two, three at the most. Um, and we talk about this in writing papers, too, but like three pieces of vocabulary, like don't dump a whole bunch of vocabulary yeah. on them. Just a couple things, a couple of key things, explain them and then let them go. Yeah, it's almost like 
you know, going back to early uh, in in the podcast, we we talked about the death march with fun sauce, right? Uh, yep. And and I almost think that this is, you know, I almost like you remember the pop up videos. You remember that on VH1 when oh you know, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. when you'd watch a video and it'd be like, pop, and it would mm-hmm. like give you a little information about something that was in there, right. like. That's almost what this kind of model is like. It's like a pop-up, you know, like, okay, hold on for a second. We're doing this thing. Let's come back together. Here's a little pop-up of, you know, yeah. here's some information that you may be, might be pertinent, something, you know, that we've established or something that, you know, historically or scientifically or whatever might be pertinent for you to incorporate into your understanding and then go back off. And <laughs> so some those things may be, you know, you know, shortened length or maybe a little longer length, but what they're not is they're not the entire class and they're right. not the entire unit. They're not, right. you know, hey, we're gonna e- go ahead. Oh, well, I was gonna say they're not even a daily happening. Let's just right. put it there. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, it's not the it's not the death march. You know, yeah. it's the opposite of that. Right. And these these you know, like you say with a pop up video notion, like they should pop up when they're necessary, yeah, or, or important, but they shouldn't be the core. They shouldn't be the backbone of the instruction. Like, like that's what you're saying. I think is really these things are useful and and they're necessary, but they but they shouldn't be the default. So if you're doing one of these little fifteen twenty minute mini lectures every day, even that I'd be worried about. Right? Then you're you're doing a lot more explaining. You know, my. My sort of notion about explanatory quotient, like who's doing the explaining in class? Well, if the teacher's doing a lot of it, that's a bad, you're in a bad situation. Like what you want is students doing a lot of explanation and then occasionally the teacher helping with these sort of critical core ideas that pop up, that become hopefully responsive to where the kids are. They need a little help thinking about buoyancy. They need a little help thinking about whatever it is that they're not going to quite work out on their own. then you can jump in and give them that little little dose. But what do I do with all my PowerPoint slides now? Oh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because <laughs> those take up space and they're important. What do you do? Uh, I, I don't know if you remember that uh, my dissertation work, but when uh, we, we had the one, uh, one just to kind of talk a little bit about this, this is I followed in my dissertation, I followed two students who were, you know, had come through, um, you know, Scott's teacher education program mm-hmm. and then had gone off and were teaching. And the one was like, given all of the PowerPoints for the chemistry class for the entire year yeah. and said, these are the PowerPoints that we are going to use. And it was like this normative. Yeah, it was organized know, by day. Even It was organized by day. Like this, this is what we do on day 107. And it's like, come on, you know, and any time that this student wanted to incorporate this, you know, you know, beginning teacher wanted to incorporate any sorts of things that were off of that, you know, there was this, you know, well, that's not what we do here. That's not how we teach science here. And and that's going to be a challenge because that is still, you know, a model out there. Like it's like, okay, you're a brand new teacher. Okay, you're teaching these three preps. Here are all the PowerPoints that we've developed for all of these. And and that's our hope with, you know, having some of these conversations, you know over the next few months and years is that we're going to change some of that model in the state. I don't know. I don't know how successful we're going to be, but I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, it is, it is the, these are the standards. These are the new science standards there and they're new as in like 10 years. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the PA ones are new in fairness, but sure. what they're based on are basically, yeah, almost 10-year-old standards now. Um, yeah, and, and I think we're both cautiously optimistic, but I think the reality, too, is, you know, public education on the scale of a state is is a is a giant battleship of a thing right it does not turn on a dime and become a whole new thing overnight even even if all the resources necessary were dumped into it and and there was tremendous amounts of time and energy and professional development and preparation and curriculum materials and all if all those things happened it would still be a slow turn but those things all don't happen. So, so it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll be a shift we hope, and we hope it'll be a, you know, a good shift and it'll, it'll be in some places will move more than others, as is always the case. And um, we just hope more kids get better science instruction as a result of this, but we shall see. We shall see, but this is definitely going to be one of those, you know, uh, pain points for teachers, Right. Sure. And we're expecting that. And we're trying to refine our conversation to be able to, you know, work against that, you know, try to change some minds, you know, and yeah. hopefully change some practice, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's an analogous to stuff that we've talked about in terms of labs, right? In that labs, current labs, most labs that teachers have sort of sitting around available to use in the form that they have them are are the sort of labs that are, you know, just follow the directions and get to the end. Um, and so teachers are going to ask the same questions about those things. Well, what do I do with all these great labs I have? It's like, well, you don't necessarily have to get rid of the labs. What you have to get rid of is all the text that you've developed that you give to the kids around the lab. That's the stuff that has to change. Right. Like what you ask the kids to do may stay exactly the same or be very similar, but how you ask them to think about what they're doing is, is going to be very different. So I think, I think it's similar here in that it doesn't mean that all your PowerPoints have to go in the trash. But what it does mean is that a lot of them do, and they the ones that you keep have to be really cut down and re rethought um, to be much more focused and um, and integrated into the larger pattern. And hopefully, you don't do a ton of PowerPoints. Um, you know, like most of the way I've seen this work done in in classrooms where ambitious instruction is happening is the teacher is is has their own version of the notebook that they use an Ollie camera, look at that, or, uh, or whatever. I love the side of that. I know it's a Ollie cam trademark. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, you know, they're writing in their notebook as, as both a way to demonstrate to kids how to sort of put this information down, but also to show that it's sort of organic. Now that doesn't mean that the teacher doesn't know exactly what they're going to write for this thing or how to talk about if we stick with our example, buoyancy and what how they're going to ask students to write in their notebook about it, they have that plan, that little, you know, direct instruction time, but it's not done in a, in the more traditional way of like, here's the PowerPoint. I'm going to tell you why you need to know this, then I'm going to tell you what you need to know, and then I'm going to tell you why you needed to know it again. Um, it's it's this like, okay, we're going to capture this. Another another way you can see this is is uh, teachers will have like a glossary in the back of of a lab notebook where they where key terms are defined and then sometimes even cross referenced into the section where that idea was developed so kids can go back and look oh yeah this is what we were doing when we came up with this notion of buoyant force yeah that's cool like modeling that type of behavior for them exactly thinking thinking about you know again I I think it all for us repeatedly comes back to this idea that. Science is a process yeah. and 
students should be engaged in the practice of that process. That's it. I mean, if you if you if you said one thing, we've we've probably said that a hundred times. If you just know one thing, yeah. But yeah, Shakes fixed that cloud. <laughs> we don't refer to that episode. Sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> this is really only episode ninety nine because we're just crossing that one off. <laughs> the episode gone. that does not exist. It's like nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, it doesn't really exist. No, no, it does not. Yeah. Mm. So I guess that's that's you know our take on direct instruction where it fits you know yeah. I think it does fit it just has we have to change the notion of what that uh, of what it means and what it looks like because um, it's not you know forty five minutes of you know thirty five slides and you right. know make sure you put this in your notebook you know yeah and it, I, I one other thing I guess I'd like to mention that that's from the AST book about this. Um, that I think is good practice as well is, is they talk about the idea that doing this sort of, however this you're going to do this interactive direct instruction. One of the things that it should include is multiple ways of representing that information, not just a bunch of text, yeah, but also like, let's make a drawing of that. Let's make, let's a think model. Of, yeah. Let's think of some examples that connect to this idea. Like don't not just like here's the definition of buoyancy, write it in your notebook. Um, you know, they even provide a graphic organizer to think about the, the some of this stuff. But but the idea of like, yeah, if it helps you to draw a picture so you can understand what buoyant force means, or if you want to refer specifically to the stuff that's in your notebook, that's good. Like we want you doing that. We don't want you thinking of buoyant force as just something that you memorize. Buoyant force is a tool and we want you to immediately start using it. It's like, I give you a screwdriver. Well, the first thing I want to do with that screwdriver is have you try and drive some screws with it and see what happens. And now let's try and unscrew some screws and see what happens. Like you don't want to just say, here's a screwdriver and you know, in uh, in October, we'll talk about how you use screwdrivers to drive screws. It's like, no, no, no. Like you, you want them doing it right away. I, I was just, you lost me on the screwdriver analogy, but uh, I'll, 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 yeah, it's all good. <laughs> so, all good. okay. <laughs> screwdrivers like buoyancy. Okay. All right. All right. So you say, here's buoyancy, 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 buoyant force. I, see, okay. That's, that it, see, that's where I, I thought you were <laughs> saying, writing a definition or representing those were different ways. You know, you're saying that the concept itself is the tool. See, that's where you lost me. Yeah. Not, not the, the like representation of the concept. Cause like, right. Oh, the, the thing, uh, the thing and the representation of the thing. Goes, see, Cause you were talking about the representation and mm. how the different ways we can represent this in right. words and images and, and models and all this. Yeah. Um, but then you switched from the representation to the definition as the tool. Yeah. I, I get it now. I get it now. Well, I was trying to use the concept as the tool. And then the typical way that we represent it is to give them the definition. Yes. Like, so in, in old school science teaching, we would just say, here's the definition of the buoyant force. The buoyant force is the force that pushes up on objects when they are in a liquid or whatever. I don't even know what the definition of buoyant force is. doesn't matter. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty good. I mean, it's you know, good enough. It's good enough for government work. But the point is that concept, that idea that that happens is important, but how kids represent it, they should write in their best way in their own language. They should draw pictures. They should connect it to the work they're doing and say, oh, that, well, that's like why a battleship floats when a, when a ball of clay sinks. Like that's, that's the buoyant force is, is part of that explanation. Right. So yeah. 
So that's what I meant. I'm sorry, yeah. both to switched, Ollie and no, to the listeners okay. for confusing I, you about what it, the screwdriver is. It's, it's, it's clarified now. It's all I good. So the yeah, no, what are the it's, screws? I don't know. Yeah, we don't, it's, we don't, it's, yeah, it's too complicated. We're just, no, it's 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 <sighs> not analogies. Yeah, analogies, they're they're great. Yeah, yeah. except when they're <laughs> not, then they're terrible. <laughs> That's right. All right, so I think we're ready to shift to Joyce because we have something yeah. special today. Something so special because it's uh, the hundredth episode. We thought we would break new territory. This is a first time in first science ever in, in science in between history. We talked very briefly in our planning before the episode about what our joys were going to be. And we realized we both had the same joy. Yes. And so this is, you know, drum roll. So welcome reader to the one time that Ollie and I shared a joy. There's lots of times that, that we realized that we share, you know, interests a lot, but this was the first time we're like, Oh, this is what I'm going to talk about for my joy. And you were like, I was going to talk about the same thing. And so that tells you that this is something special folks. And it's not a comic book. It's not a comic book. It's not a podcast. It's, it's not, not a based book. on a comic book. No, it's not even based on a comic book. It is a TV show that you and I have been binging yes. called The Bear. The Bear. The Bear. The Bear. And, and it is awesome. Yes. You know, I I think my, for me, I, I think I've talked about my ter- Italian heritage mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the show. And I've also talked about my love of cooking shows. Like I think my first joy ever was chopped and I still mm-hmm. watch chopped yep. pretty really re- religiously. Um, this show, um, the bear is set in Chicago and it's about um, an Italian pit beef place sh- restaurant in Chicago. And I think that kind of like takes it down to its core. The original right? beef. Yeah. The original beef, which actually I'm not that fond of. If you've ever gone to Chicago and had one, it's just okay. It's not well, my sandwich. Maybe you haven't been to that place. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the case. I I had it at you know um the stadium. Like I went to see a Cubs game. Oh well, come on now. And I was like, Meh. They that's were like, like that's like saying <clears throat> I got my Philly cheesesteak at the Phillies game and was a little disappointed in it. Well, yeah, I think that's probably that's probably fair. <laughs> that's come on, fair. I was <laughs> like, this is like everyone in the stands were like, this is what you used to eat. I'm like, what should I eat here? What should I? Yeah. They're like, oh, get yourself a, a, a yeah, you know, a, a t- re- original beef, beef with yeah. jardinier on it. They yeah, jardinier yeah. right on there, and, just and I was eat like, I'm like, yeah, this yeah. is at my sandwich. No, you no. got to go to like the place is called the original beef. Yeah, right, like this this place. So here's the mm. the premise of the show. Um. Two brothers, a brother runs, owns this place, but then he dies and he leaves the restaurant to his younger brother, who is actually like an award winning food and wine's best new chef. Right. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Food and wine's best new chef. Yes. So he's an award winning (laughs) chef at like a very fancy restaurant in New York City. Yeah. And so he comes home um, to run the restaurant, which is in the. Uh, in bad shape it's in bad yes. shape for a whole lot of reasons yes um but real short episodes like maybe a half an hour but yeah. like angst like it is super intense yeah you would talk to you had said it you had talked to somebody who works in a restaurant yeah I have multiple people and then i've read reviews of of the show that were by people who worked in restaurants and everyone says like it is it is the most authentic 
feeling show about what restaurant life is like. And it, and the nice thing is, I mean, the vast majority of the show happens in this, you know, original beef restaurant in Chicago, but they do have intercut some little sort of flashbacks of Carmi, who is the younger brother working at this restaurant in, in New York. So, so it also gives you the, uh, an interesting sort of contrast between like the tension that exists in the original beef, the sort of stress and tension of that place. And then the stress and tension, which is both more intense, but also much quieter in this, in this other restaurant where it's, you know, it's like you can see their souls being crushed, but it's happening at like Soto Voce, you know, very quietly. (laughs) So it's really, it, I mean, the whole show is just so like the way it's filmed, the way the characters in it. Right. Yeah. And the acting is just awesome like it is spectacular yeah across the boards and there'll be there are cameos from people that you may not expect like like molly ringwald was in it like when she first showed up but we're like is that molly ringwald and that's like pretty in pink fame Mm -hmm. and breakfast club and so here she is you know years later and she plays a you know a a counselor in this um and then also joel McHale, Mm -hmm. um who plays a horrible horrible individual in this which is not his his you know usual typecast like he's usually like a pretty friendly you know comedic person and this is not a comedic series i mean there are parts you're laughing yeah like there are especially with richie you know cousin 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 he's he's he (laughs) plays this role that is just at times laughable and also heartbreaking because yeah. he is somebody who, I mean, there's, well, he's, he's the guy who after the, the older brother dies, he was working in the restaurant. And basically after the older brother dies, he's running the restaurant for a while before Carmi comes home before Carmen comes home. So he's, he's like the best friend of Carmen's older brother, um, who, who's worked in the restaurant his whole life. Like that's his, literally his whole life is this restaurant. And, right. uh, and he's a complicated um, character. And I think most, they all most, are. That's what's so all. beautiful yeah. about it. They yeah. are. Yeah. And just in lots of different reasons. And, and there's yeah, a spectacular woman who comes in, um, who's also CIA, like formally trained, like super, super competent, um, younger woman who comes in to stage, which is like sort of like intern with Carmi because she knows who he is and she wants to work with him. And they, there's a history to the with her to the restaurant and stuff like that. It's but she is so good too. Yeah. Like she's this amazing young woman, but she's also totally like stressed out and driven. And but like, ugh, it's yeah, all the characters are so good in it. Yeah, so we can't we can't recommend the show enough. So no. check it out. I mean, there's. This in in a hundred episodes is the first time we've ever done a joint joy. Yeah. So that should and, give you yeah. indication. Go check it out. It's on yeah. uh, streaming on FX. Um, and Hulu. So, and Hulu. So if you have access to FX or you own you stream Hulu, definitely check that out because yeah. it is well worth your time. Eight episodes in season one, and you'll want to watch them all at one sitting. Yeah. But here's the thing. Don't listen to this stupid podcast. Turn it off. Go watch the bear. Like <laughs> whatever you're doing, I don't care. Yeah. You're washing the dishes. You you're feeding, feeding your kids. You don't want to say that. You don't want to. No. You're no feeding no. your kids. <laughs> just forget out. Forget about this stupid podcast. Go. Just put the food down for the kids. They'll feed themselves fine. Go over and watch the bear right now. Yeah. No. Don't, you don't want to do that. I don't. No, want you don't want. You, you want to go watch the. But there's only a couple minutes left in this podcast. Yeah, that's Come true. On. Okay. So wait two minutes till we're right. done, yeah. and then. Let your kids feed themselves and go watch the bear. Yeah. At least watch, the first episode. And and they'll if they watch the first one, they're gonna watch the others. 
unless you're broken inside and then I can't, I can't help you. <laughs> and then why are they listening to this podcast? Right. Cause yes. if they're broken inside, then well, yeah. I mean, yeah. in fairness, <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, there's probably a, a lot of broken people that listen to this podcast because that's essentially who we are. So, you know, we, we, right. we love all the broken people. <laughs> that's getting a little personal. Oh, sorry. I'm not talking about you. You, my friend, are hale and hearty and whole. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. That's who I am. Mentally, physically, and emotionally fit. Ooh, <laughs> you you are misrepresenting me, but I appreciate that. <laughs> is that what you appreciate uh, about me? Yeah, that is what I appreciate about you. All right. Well, hey, you know, episode 100, it was, you know. In the it can. Was, it's in the can. And uh, we'll check you next time. Catch you next time. In between. Yeah, then. Bye now.